Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Folks, we're teetering on what could be an economic meltdown, threatening to wash away our savings and retirement. Inflation has surged to levels unseen in 40 years. Gold is the smartest and most responsible investment you can make for you and your family in times like these. A safe haven asset that protects your purchasing power and your wallet from inflation. When it comes to protecting your IRA or 401k, trust only the best. My friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold has earned the highest trust ratings in the precious metals industry and builds relationships based on integrity, expertise, and impeccable service. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectwithlou.com today or give them a call at 844-6484-LOU. Don't wait. Take control of your retirement today. Call 844-6484. 84-L-O-U and speak with one of their experts. Time is of the essence. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. Visit protectwithlou.com or call 844-648-4LOU. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to The Great America Show. Thanks for being with us. A big week ahead for Congress. A potential government shutdown is looming. Parts of the government are due to start shutting down Friday if a budget or continuing resolution is not passed. It's unlikely we'll see a full budget, as we haven't seen one in quite some time. More than two dozen conservative congressmen have signed on to a letter floating a year-long continuing resolution because they have no faith in Speaker Johnson's ability to negotiate a conservative tax-cutting budget. Our guest today is about to tell us who's really running this country. He's one of the foremost cyber experts and a great American. He's Mike Benz. He's the executive director of the Foundation for Freedom Online. And Mike, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it so much. And your interview with Tucker Carlson to me was historic and a great public service. You talked about censorship and said the two greatest instances of censorship in our history were the COVID-19 pandemic and the 2020 elections. Am I quoting you correctly? Yeah, that's 100% correct. And your judgment as to why those two events? Well, I should sort of preface that by saying that their plan was to scale out what they did for those two things, those two events for, quote, every sensitive policy issue. And uh, my foundation's website has a whole supercut of clips about the way they wanted to expand uh, what they did for uh, COVID-19 censorship and 2020 election censorship into virtually every issue of concern of foreign policy establishment spanning energy, immigration, uh, abortion, you name it. But uh, but essentially what was happening during the COVID-19 and uh, the 2020 election mass censorship operations, which again were the most censored events in human history, and I include China's Great Firewall and other things in that when you look at the sheer scale of it, But what was happening was you basically had a perfect storm of of three things that were available then and and in ready position 
that did not exist before and currently do not quite exist anymore. And, and that was you had a combination of censorship technology, censorship institutional uh, embedding, and political legitimacy to get away with it. In, in the sense that there was not any pushback, there was not any, uh, it had not been scandalized, there was no public awareness, even trying to say, hey, this might be happening, got you labeled, you know, something between either a, a partisan or a conspiracy theorist. And a lot of people didn't want to believe that the, uh, the you know, to stare directly into the sun, so to speak, and to uh, understand what they were even up against. And so those three things, the technology, the institutional embedding and the political legitimacy allowed them to get away with that. And those three things were essentially the, the AI censorship and narrative detection capabilities in order to detect every emerging narrative, every grouping of communities in order to designate them mystics or malinformation. The sort of technology that did not exist before 2016, when all speech on the internet was flagged manually, so you couldn't do mil millions or tens of millions of things censored at once, the technology did not exist to be able to track and then scan and ban or apply different levels of content moderation at scale. You know, if uh, whether that's, you know, they, they call it remove, reduce, inform. Remove is when you just ban something altogether. Inform is the fact check label and the friction. And reduce is this great inter, you know, this, this great vast tundra of different interventions, as they call them, in order to throttle or deamplify or apply a so-called virality circuit breaker so that technically it's posted, but it can't get shared or it can't get above a certain number of of, uh, of shares or uh, or click-throughs or whatnot. So this this was technology that had been in development really since 2014, but then it supercharged after the 2016 election. And you had this brand new predicate with, with democracy after the Mullergate investigation fell apart in July 2019. We created these tools around censoring Russian disinformation, and you had the Pentagon and the State Department and the CIA and hundreds of NGOs and university centers who, were, who all had this institutional embedding with all the major tech companies. And they now had their hands on these play toys for these AI weapons of mass deletion, you know, as I re refer to them. And none of them were household names. You didn't have Elon Musk uh, purchasing Twitter. There was no way to even popularize the issue because you couldn't even talk about it. The, you didn't have the House investigations from the Jim Jordan Committee or the House Homeland Security Committee or the Oversight Committee. You didn't have the subpoenas. You didn't have people being hauled in for transcribed interviews. You didn't have the lawsuit with Missouri v. Biden, or the America First legal lawsuit, or the or the three different state attorney generals who've done these censorship investigations. Uh, the whole panoply. And so they got away with it. And what was amazing is, I'll just say as a final note, is I watched these people's morals evolve over time on this because I, I've been doing this for eight years and they didn't start out with the kind of brazenness that they that they walked themselves up to, you know, around the, the COVID and 2020 election. And then when they did this far into domestic switcheroo and took this Russian censorship predicate mm -hmm. that it existed from January 2017 up until summer of 2019. And then four months later, the pandemic starts. And then three months later, the mail-in ballot sort of uh, operation started. They that at that moment they could have just shelved it all and said, okay, well, we're not going to do censorship anymore because there's no more Russian threat for the 2020 election. But instead, they just transitioned it all home with this democracy branding, and they were able to get away with it until quite recently. Until quite recently, the issue here is 2020 and the epidemic, government intruding into our private lives as citizens in this country. Uh, and translation, that means diminishing our constitutional rights 
uh, wholesale in many instances, we have a government that actually turned against the American people. Because this we can talk about in terms of censorship, but the reality is the consent of the governed uh, is absent anywhere in the algorithm that remains. Uh, do you agree? Oh, not just in the algorithm, at the network level. I mean, what, what you're talking about is not... Um... You know, it's not an idea from from you or me. It's an, it's an idea. It's, a, it's actually the, the central thesis of the Biden administration's legal defense of their censorship scheme, which is that the First Amendment uh, needs to be uh, effectively somewhere between shelved altogether or more broadly interpreted in the age of social media because um, democracy did not anticipate social media. And this is a, this is the argument that that they're making in the Missouri v. Biden case, that the traditional interpretation of the First Amendment should no longer apply. And a great example of this is actually one of the origin points of government censorship. There's a small little nucleus tucked within the State Department called the Global Engagement Center, which was initially set up to give the government the capacity to, to censor ISIS, because in 2014 and 2015, during the Obama administration, as part of the lead up to putting boots on the ground in a military sense uh, into Syria, there were all of these, you know, hyperventilated threats, uh, you know, surround sound media about ISIS recruiting Americans on Facebook and Twitter, and it was everywhere. And that gave this sort of political predicate to set up a group within the State Department that would be able to have a liaison office at the highest levels of YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and every major platform and forum uh, on the internet to be able to tell them, hey, these networks need to go down. This speech is not allowed. This person sounds like an ISIS recruiter. Or, or, or ISIS propaganda. They mapped the whole language, the exact same thing they would do for critics of mail-in ballots or for COVID-19 COVID heterodox opinions, uh, which is this, this process uh, when you're creating these, these censorship algorithms of mapping the, the specific ling linguistics of you know, the slang terms, the prefixes, the suffixes, the, the slogans, the, the hashtags. Um, you know, every, there's a unique dialect that, that every belief system articulates, you know, we, we, you know, who, who tend to be more on sort of the, the right side uh, or conservative side of the aisle can very quickly identify this when we hear social justice or, or cultural Marxist type type talk, we can sort of identify that immediately just with our own sort of human capacities. Uh, you can only imagine the power of AI to be able to do that. And that is, that is what, you know, was, was basically under construction uh, with the assistance from the global engagement center at the state department. And the guy who, who founded that, that censorship center within the State Department, Rich Stengel, uh, came from being the managing editor of Time magazine previously. And he was the undersecretary of state for public affairs, which is the, you know, which is the liaison office that coordinates basically the CIA, the State Department, and mainstream media in order to amplify the State Department's uh, foreign policy priorities. And he had he had you know, it, he had said that his mission was, first of all, he described himself as Obama's propagandist in chief, but he had said that his mission as, as uh, Undersecretary of State for Public Affairs was to, quote, export the First Amendment. But then two years later, when, when social media cost them the election, he then wrote a Washington Post op-ed in an entire book calling for an end to the First Amendment because it allows the kind of people to be elected who might undermine democracy. So it went from exporting the First Amendment to ending the First Amendment just because they lost an election. And recently, listening to Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, being asked about FISA reauthorization and reform, 
uh, suggesting, it's not suggesting, stating clearly that the administration doesn't believe that the First Amendment uh, concerns where it pertains to uh, warrantless wiretaps uh, would be helpful to the national interest. I mean, to hear this nonsense spewing out of this administration, frankly, I, every American should be chilled uh, with that kind of attitude in the White House. And because of you, we know that that attitude permeates uh, our federal government, in point of fact, that is under the control of the uh, of really the, the deep state uh, and the Marxist Dems, as I call them. Uh, Mike, we're going to take just a quick break here. Uh, we'll come right back after these quick messages. Messages. We're talking with Mike Benz and the Foundation for Freedom Online. Uh, I recommend you go to it immediately. It is worth your uh, I can guarantee you it is worth your time. Believe me. We'll be right back. Folks, you know I beg everyone to get ready for the next crisis. And when it comes, our lives will likely change overnight, whether it's natural disaster, war, or another disease. We have to be ready as we can be. We saw what happened in 2020 when we found ourselves dependent on global supply chains. We're still dependent on China and other countries for more than 90% of all our pharmaceuticals. With clusters of respiratory illnesses popping up around the world and here, we need to be prepared. And now is the time to make certain you have what your family needs when the next crisis hits. Our good friends, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Drew Pinsky over at the Wellness Company have put together just what you and I need with the Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit. And now the Wellness Company's Medical Kit provides a solution critical to you and your loved ones. This emergency kit includes eight life-saving medications, including amoxicillin, z and ivermectin for you to keep on hand, along with a guidebook for safe use. From tick bites to biochemical events, every medical scenario is covered. Be prepared for whatever comes next. Go to twc.health/dobs and grab your medical emergency kit right now. Go to twc.health/dobs now. That's twc.health/dobs. Put in promo code dobs and save 15% at checkout. Take control of your health today with the Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit. Prepare today. Be ready tomorrow. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Back now, we're talking with Mike Benz of the uh, Foundation for Freedom Online, and uh, I just recommend that you uh, 
uh, read everything that uh, Mike and his folks uh, produce and, uh, and and follow it carefully. I tell you this, uh, we we are. And I want to again thank you and Tucker Carlson for the conversation uh, that you had, uh, I guess it was a week ago. Uh, remarkable. Uh, and I urge everyone to look at that uh, as well uh, and everything that Mike has in terms of media on his site. Uh, let's go to the first instance, the pandemic. We saw the government really turn against the people. And for the first time, we in this country that I can recall, certainly, we had mandates. We had rules imposed by uh, public health agencies, by the White House, uh, by the Defense Department. Uh, suddenly, everywhere in government, there was a totalitarian streak. Government, obviously, uh, is it, all about power over the people. But uh, we're, we've been fortunate enough to live here where we have power over the government. I watched huge chunks of freedom being uh, uh, chewed up uh, by these agencies and departments, uh, and and suddenly I realized this is uh, this is not the America that we had just uh, a few months, a few years uh, previous. What is the program? This, if there is one, the specific program, the specific uh, tool that made it possible for government to strip out dissent online. Right. Well, during the, the COVID pandemic, we were functionally under martial law. And who administers martial law? The, the marshals, the military. And you have this, you know, the, at the top of my feed right now on my Twitter account, it's at Mike Ben Cyber. The, the, the top post is a video showing the Soviet military response to the Chernobyl. It's, it's from the... It's a scene from the Netflix documentary called Chernobyl, and it basically describes how information was contained uh, you know, as that outbreak happened in order to stop people from perpetuating misinformation within the, the Soviet uh, empire about that event. There was a very similar thing that happened here with respect to the outbreak of COVID, which is to say that you had, you had a kind of martial law from the government being applied, and particularly within our national security state, our Pentagon State Department, CIA, and, and, the, and all the adjacent NGOs and cutouts that they work through in order to create the surround sound and the so-called whole of society uh, censorship apparatus that they have. Now, they call it whole of society counter misinformation network, but countering the misinformation does not mean counter speech. It means censoring. It means taking down the post, you know, remove, reduce, inform. You know, and, you know, the, you know, the government uh, that we're in trouble uh, with our government, when the government starts labeling everything the opposite of what it is, it becomes uh, Orwellian to a degree we've never experienced before in this country. Well, <laughs> you're kind of getting it at, uh, at sort of the heart of it, which is, I mean, most people have no idea how much work goes into it from, from their side in order to come up with those framing devices. I mean, for years, I was watching these people come up with all the, you know, we can't quite say it like that. It won't go down well. You know, we need to be able to persuade this group of stakeholders and, and the, you know, these committees of Congress. So we need to call it this. Well, this doesn't quite work. Well, how about this? Well, we need to run this through our whole sort of stakeholder apparatus in order to, you know, to get everyone on board that this is the branding. And it's all done to deliberately mislead you so that you have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. And this is why I sometimes joke that the, the reason that the disinformation governance board was shelved within a week, but the, the actual Ministry of Truth within the, within the Department of Homeland Security, which had this innocu innocuous, innocuous uh, you know, mundane name called the 
cyber, uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which has the name security in it twice. It had nothing to do with security. It was a censorship agency. It was our first ever federal government domestic censorship bureau. And that was what was responsible for censoring the 2020 election. This is how you got hundreds of millions of, 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 tweet, of pro-Trump tweets censored. It was through this specific government agency. But they didn't call it the Disinformation Governance Board. It, you know, if they called it that, it probably would have been shut down within a week, like like the Disinformation Governance Board when they when they tried that in April 2022. So the systematic wrong naming, uh, you know, I, I refer to this as censor speak. In order to, to parse the sort of cinematic universe of what you're up against here, you need to speak their language because uh, everything is coded in order to prevent the sunlight that would instantly delegitimize it. And so, you know, these are words like media literacy, you know, which is like a whole censorship branding thing to say that if you read news sources uh, that are that are misinformation sites, then you are illiterate in media and you need to get your mind right or you, you shouldn't be able to access those sites. Most people think media literacy means, you know, helping underprivileged kids in inner cities learn how to become more literate. They have no idea it's a censorship branding term or the term intervention. You know, intervention, most people think that that means, you know, saving someone from drinking themselves to death. But what they mean is running an intervention on you so that you your mind is not clouded up by misinformation that you see on social media. And so we will censor the posts that you can see or we will throttle them in the algorithm or we'll fix these fact checking labels with interstitial click throughs so that you we are intervening to help to save you from your own you know wrong thoughts and opinions that you might form. And I mean, there's a million of these on my website. I have a whole sort of lexicon of, of censor speak. But, you know, you need to speak that language and people are only beginning to learn that now. Yeah. And, and don't hesitate to mention the name of your site, the Foundation for Freedom Online, uh, because it's very important to this audience. What you're talking about is, frankly, it's so important to the American people to understand what has happened to uh, this country. I want to go to the, the you mentioned this, uh, the uh, the uh, the agency, uh, the for, uh, what is it? CISA, yeah, uh, cyber uh, cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency. I, I mean, all they needed was another another security in there. We right. had a real title, but uh, they also lied through their teeth in the 2020 election. Uh, famously, Chris Krebs came out and said it was uh, the most secure election in American history. He did that within, I believe, as I recall, six days of the election, uh, which was impossible no matter how advanced the uh, the cyber tools that were in use. You couldn't have possibly rendered that judgment because of the variety of votes that were cast uh, and types of uh, votes. And then a year and a half later, and most people didn't pay a bit of attention, they came out with a paper in which they recanted. They didn't apologize. They didn't correct it, but they recanted uh, that uh, that statement. And the national media didn't pick it up. It was really quite interesting to watch because it's a perfect example of what uh, you're talking about. This was this was mind control. This is ducking, bobbing, and weaving in the national media flagrantly and uh, without comment from the national liberal media in this country. Uh, it, and it's outrageous. And people still think that the election of 2020, you know, is either uh, on, on the left, they say it shouldn't be relitigated. They don't understand it. Uh, and the uh, conservatives on the right uh, say that it doggone well better be because we know it was rigged. Uh, and, and the fact is, we don't understand what happened in this country fully. Uh, and I think you've given us a way to get to that answer. Uh, you're thinking. 
Yeah, I mean, the rabbit hole on this goes so deep. Uh, I think it could be a, a lot of big, overwhelming for people to sort of digest in one bite. On my foundation's website, we have an article called The Ultimate Guide to DHS Censorship, and it's a 10,000-word report with 25 different confession videos of, of insiders confessing to this whole plan as they were doing it and gloating about it afterwards. 150 hyperlinks. It's sort of the definitive story of, of this DHS censorship of mass mail-in ballots. It's been entered into, into uh, the, the floor of Congress and multiple lawsuits. That's the, probably the best source for people who want further reading after this. But, you know, the short story is um, when this whole of society censorship network was set up, they knew they needed the government to be the quarterback of it. Again, the whole society is four quadrants of, of institutions, government agencies, the private sector institutions such as the platforms and the private sector censorship mercenary firms and the censorship technology developers, civil society institutions, and that's universities, nonprofits, foundations, and, and, uh, and activists and researcher groups. And then the fourth one is media and fact-checking organizations. And they knew they needed a government quarterback of the whole of society network because uh, government cutouts, like, for example, Stanford University created this censorship organization called uh, the, uh, the the Stanford Internet Observatory. There was no observing about it. This was a Death Star that was blasting millions of posts, you know, off off the internet. But they couldn't call it, you know, <laughs> they couldn't call it that. So they had to make it sound seem like an observatory. Say it again. It's called this the Stanford Internet Observatory. They've been, you know, they've been the subject of of, of many many uh, news cycles at this point because of how deep the scandal goes there. Um, you know, they've been subpoenaed by the Jim Jordan Weaponization Committee and are all over the Missouri v. Biden lawsuit. Um, they you know, they were partnered with three other institutions, which include Graphica, which got $7 million of Pentagon grants and, and got started as, as part of something called the Minerva, the Minerva Initiative, which right. is the Psychological Operations Research Center of the Pentagon. So this was a formal, this is a, this is a private firm, which, which was, which was formerly, you know, parked within a, a psychological operations unit within the Pentagon, who got $7 million of Pentagon funding, who was, who was designated the formal domestic disinformation flagger for the U, for the U.S. election in 2020. You know, their, their, their CSO was 25 years in the, in the, in the CIA. They'd been doing basically social media mapping for the Pentagon in, in conflict zones uh, until the 2016 election. And then the Pentagon, you know, the Pentagon was at war with Donald Trump. I mean, let's just say it what it was. The, the Ukraine policy that he articulated and the Russia policy that he articulated was a reversal of the Obama administration and, for, and the Bush administration and the Mitt Romney and the John McCain, the, the uniparty Pentagon priorities that had basically existed from Truman until Trump um, were deeply, deeply challenged. And not only that, it happened at a time when these things were very fragile in, in Ukraine. And there was an in-process operation to try to basically bring these breakaway states back in. And so you had this, you know, what you, you might argue may have happened with the Kennedy situation where he was at war with his own generals. And so this, but, but there by far none, the Pentagon is, is the, the, the largest employer in the entire country, bigger than a private employer. They employ something like 2 million people, the Pentagon alone. It gets the most money of the federal dollars of any, uh, of any federal government agency. And, and they're the most sophisticated in being able to launder things through cutouts because so many of our own private sector institutions and universities and media companies rely on the Pentagon either for, for direct funding, for R&D funding, uh, for the Pentagon to clear the way for them, to do favors for them so that they can you know, resist resource nationalism from foreign countries and for access you know, uh, when, it, when it comes to media institutions. 
And so, you know, then you have the Atlanta Council is also partnered with Stanford. The Atlanta Council gets funding from all four branches of the U.S. military, the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, as well as funding from the State Department and CIA cutouts like the National Endowment for Democracy. They were all joined together in a formal partnership called the Election Integrity Partnership, which was which was handcrafted by CISA, the DHS, seven months before the election started in order to, in the words of the head of EIP, to do what the, what the government wanted to do in terms of censorship, but could not do itself. They deliberately on tape confessed to, to the to DHS wanting to violate the First Amendment, but knowing they couldn't. And so, cre- and so running it, laundering it through an outside private group that worked closely together with them. And, they, and there's a formal pitch to even form them. And not only that, in order to do that, they used this, this DHS-funded infrastructure to access the domestic disinformation switchboard to be able to make sure that everything was censored in real time. Incredible. I mean, it is just utterly incredible. Uh, we're talking with Mike Benz. We're going, he's the executive director of the Foundation for Freedom Online. Uh, We're going to come back. And when we do, uh, we're going to get a handle on just exactly where was the intelligence community in all of this uh, during this period, uh, during this period in which we live as well. We'll be right back with Mike Benz. Stay with us. Lou Dobbs here. I'm delighted to let you all know that the program Lou Dobbs Tonight has returned to the air. That's right. Lou Dobbs Tonight is back. We're live each and every weeknight at 7 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Central on rumble.com slash Lou Dobbs. That's rumble.com slash Lou Dobbs. I hope you'll be joining us for Lou Dobbs Tonight as our fight to save this country has only begun. Back now, we're talking with uh, with Mike Benz. Uh, the he is the executive director of the Foundation for uh, for Freedom Online, and I want to just get to where we are. It seems to me in this conversation, Mike, and that is, who is in charge of this country? Who is in charge of? I, I think I know the answer, but our government. Uh, and is there is there any place to hide in the midst of all of this? So my stock answer to that question is simply the blob. And then the, you know, the magic of that is what is the shape of the blob? And the blob is, was a term that uh, Obama's deputy uh, national security advisor, Ben Rhodes, uh, described as being, you know, what you're up against when you're trying as a president to actually you know, uh, affect foreign policy in the, in the country. And, and the blob you know, refers to the, this foreign policy establishment, which is a really sort of cute way uh, a sort of boring way of describing the managers of the American empire. And so here, I think at a sort of theoretical level, it's important to draw a distinction between the managers of the American empire and the citizens of the American homeland, because the power structures that, that run Washington, there's a very sharp divide between those two things. We have, America is not just the 330 odd million people who live here. It is America is the world and it has been for you know almost a, almost a century now in the sense that you know in 1898 we became this global empire when we took the Philippines in the Spanish American War and we took Cuba and we had to defend all these foreign territories frankly you can take it back farther than that into the 1823 Monroe doctrine and the banana wars and and all you know we are an industrial nation of of multinational corporations uh, in a big bad mean old world where every country's government is is you know trying to do what's best for its own corporations and its own people, and so there 
resource nationalism is real. Market protectionism is real. And so we, in order to maintain our hold over the American empire, we needed to create this vast blob structure that is at the, the, at the government level is, is localized to three different sort of legs. There's the Pentagon, the State Department, and the intelligence community. And, and they all play different roles, but it's important when you think of those three different categories of institutions, they are one thing. If you have a job at the Pentagon as a deputy assistant secretary there, the very next year, you could be a deputy assistant secretary of the State Department or, or go into the CIA or NSA or any of the other 17 agencies. It's one thing. And, and there's so there's that's the government side of it. But then you have the donors and drafters off of the battering ram of the blob. And, and I should say the blob is imbued with a Department of Dirty Tricks power to be able to overthrow governments to be able to you know, bribe or censor foreign media, uh, to be able to do all manner of psychological operations, to run color revolutions, to take over unions, to, to run this whole of society playbook where if there's a territory that, that we want to extract you know, resources from, or we want to put a military base in, or we want that country to vote our way in a UN Security Council vote, we have this Department of Dirty Tricks to be able to co-opt all of the different private sector, civil society, and media institutions in that region in order to make it more pliant to the empire's interests. And so, so this is a, this is the, the essentially the main power structure in Washington's because we are the empire is much much bigger than the homeland. The issue is is while that may have been in some ways responsible for our prosperous middle class in the 20th century because all of our multinational corporations. Pepsi-Cola could export to billions of people. Um, Microsoft, you know, uh, our oil and gas companies, uh, they, they would not be able to have access to these foreign markets unless the State Department pried them open or unless the, or unless the Pentagon or NATO, you know, uh, basically forced free market reforms or unless, the, you know, our intelligence agencies were able to pipe in surround sound media or, or groom a sort of political class to emerging leader programs and whatnot. The issue is, is we had this Department of Dirty Tricks, which was supposed to be this kind of, you know, multi-headed hydra, uh, you know, pit bull orca whale defending our American interests. And it was never supposed to come inside the house. It's supposed to protect us and sort of, you know, uh, acquire territory politically in order to have, increase US national interests. But after the 2016 election, they they broke two and a, you know they they broke you know what's effectively two and a half centuries of, of precedent going you know going back to our founding but certainly a century of precedent precedent since the founding of, of, of this apparatus in 1948 uh, in, in the same way they broke that precedent by the way at the Justice Department level you know with indicting Trump and with these these bankruptcy lawsuits but in 2016 we took our magic Department of Dirty Tricks democracy uh, blob power. And we turned it inward to do the same thing to our own homeland, what we did to other regions in the empire. And that is a force that that Washington, domestic focused politicians in Washington have not been prepared. And frankly, it will take decades to really be prepared to confront. Decades to be prepared to confront. Yet we are in conflict and uh, it looks like mortal conflict, frankly, to me right now. Uh, we have an election, a presidential election that is absolutely existential. I know that uh, sounds like hyperbole to some. I truly believe uh, that if Donald Trump does not win this election, there are very few options open to us. Uh, and that, uh, in effect, the Marxist uh, uh, 
Dem party, led by Marxist Dems, uh, will have its way. It will become the uniparty. Uh, there will only be room for one party. And we have an election that we can't assure is secure because our uh, our cybersecurity and infrastructure uh, security agency uh, is a, a major part, a focal point, uh, frankly, in, in, in terms of uh, constricting our, our freedoms and uh, directing outcomes of elections. Uh, I don't know why anyone with any common sense would assume that the CIA, for example, could be fixing elections in uh, Ecuador, uh, Chile, Peru, but wouldn't wouldn't bring those tools home uh, to uh, to greet us. And I think there are a lot of people who have this, a conspiracy theory that that's precisely what happened. Uh, and like nearly every other conspiracy theory of the last 10 years, it just happens to be true. Oh, entirely. I mean, the CIA is all over this. It's also important to understand that when the CIA operates, uh, it operates through you know, you know, hundreds of, of cutouts. I mean, when, when we, uh, you know, as you mentioned, if we're going to overthrow the government, if the CIA is going to overthrow the government of Nicaragua, you know, they don't march in there with, uh, you know, they don't, they don't W-2, you know, they're not W-2 employees with, with big badges saying, hi, my name is Mike. Uh, I'm, I'm from the CIA. You know, they, uh, they what they do and is- here they, to help. Right. Right. No, what they do is they 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 use a, a, a sophisticated interlinking network of front companies, of, of, of shell corporations, of laundered money and of, uh, you know, different categories of institutions that span the whole society. You know, they, they work through through academic centers. They work through NGOs. They work with so-called independent media, which happens to be funded by USAID and the National Endowment for Democracy and the State Department, you know, which is basically just just cover. Uh, and then, you know, then they'll work with, you know, they'll work through sort of opposition groups that they're providing money to through Cayman Islands bank accounts or, you know, crypto now. The, the, the issue is, is once... <laughs> The people don't, I think, fully appreciate the the magic spell word of, of, of democracy and what a what a what a what a loose term like threat to democracy does in terms of the blob's ability to break open the Department of Dirty Tricks. Uh, you know, the, the blob's favorite president is Woodrow Wilson. They are obsessed with Woodrow Wilson. They will defend Woodrow Wilson against progressive leftists. Uh, who's trying to say that he's a racist. There will be a sort of exception for all that uh, just because Wilson is so central to the to the power that the blob derives politically. And this is, you know, Wilson's whole call to make the world you know, safe for democracy, you know, 1917 or whatnot, um, was was our banner to be able to use this word. You see, we have we, the CIA basically operates under under two conditions in terms of its political legitimacy and its jurisdiction. That, that is, if a foreign country is committing aggression externally, uh, and if we can't nail them on that, uh, repression internally. Now, the, the uh, oppression externally, I'm sorry, aggression externally is a national security uh, factor. You know, it's very easy to justify if, uh, you know, if Iraq is, 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 a, is you know, a, attacking its neighbor, or uh, if Serbia is, is attacking people in Kosovo, you can say, okay, well, that is external aggression. And we need to, we, you know, that, and that undermines our national security because we're seeing this right now with, with, you know, the Ukraine situation. Well, Poland's next. And so it's, it's going to actually be an aggression against, against NATO states. But if we can't nail them on that, and we still need, we still want regime change, 
Then we have this catch-all for, dom for, do for domestic repression. Well, if they're not hurting other people, they're hurting themselves, and they need a new government, which happens to be a U.S.-installed puppet government. And by the way, I don't mean to sound like an anti-imperialist leftist. I don't know that I had a problem with any of this until they brought it home after the 2016 election, because that means the, the managers of the American empire are not serving the homeland anymore. It's literally just for their own interests, for their own, you know, for their own money, for their own power, and, and, uh, and it just becomes a, no distinction between Boston and Baghdad. So what I think what I'm just trying to describe here is, is the moment you say something or someone is a threat to democracy, it allows the blob to unleash this Department of Dirty Tricks. And that is exactly what happened when Trump was labeled a threat to democracy. And they also had the Russiagate thing. I mean, the CIA got involved in this immediately because first, if you remember, it was actually the 15 page CIA memo published on January 6, 2017. That was the, that was the very first, you know. Intelligence community assessment that that uh, that Russia had hacked the 2016 election and that uh, you know, Russiagate was real. That came straight from the CIA. The censorship industry then grew out of the Russiagate, and then they transitioned it with the foreign to domestic switcheroo uh, starting after July 2019. And that turned out to be just about as accurate as their uh, propaganda about uh, Vladimir Putin's health conditions uh, immediately following his invasion of Ukraine. Uh, it's been remarkable. And Mike, thank you so much for your time today. I, I would love for you to come back soon and continue the conversation. I know the audience would as well. Uh, but thank you so much for your time today and for the uh, for the tutorial, as always. Thanks, Lou. I'd, I'd love to continue the conversation. Great. Thank you. Mike Benz, the foundation for uh, the Foundation for Freedom online. And uh, and I recommend everyone go to it. It's just a, a, a wonderful website. And you've heard uh, the power uh, behind it. Uh, Mike Benz. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Our guest here tomorrow on The Great America Show will be former special assistant to President Trump, Peter Navarro. Please join us for that tomorrow and join us each and every day. Follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs and on Facebook and Instagram at Lou Dobbs Tonight. And check out LouDobbs.com. Thanks, everybody. God bless you. And may God bless America.